0: Welcome to the Full and Focus podcast. My name is Matt Boiscler, and I'm here to look ahead to a mouth-watering West London Derby with Brentford in the 2019-20 Championship playoff final. It's the game which stands to net the winner, a huge financial windfall, as well as the prestige of a place in next season's Premier League. We've done it before, but can we do it again? I'm sure you'll all be watching the game, of course, but something I never thought I'd be saying is that if you're a long-time listener of Full and Focus, Please can you do me a favour this week and just pop Holby City on to record on Tuesday night. I'm not allowed to say why, because my fellow Focus presenter would kill me. That's right, J-Mac, the actor, is definitely not in Holby City on Tuesday night. We definitely haven't been waiting for this for months, and it definitely isn't a stupid, horrible clash that his appearance on primetime TV has clashed with the playoff final. Joining me to look forward to the game, though, firstly, is a man who's drank his way through the game since lockdown was lifted, as much as any of us. It's Will Oakley. Hello, mate.
1: Hi, mate. How are you?
0: Also, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Also joining me is a, also joining me is a colossus and a legend, and it's his birthday too. Happy birthday, Danny boy. How's it going, mate? Hey, happy birthday. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, mate. I'm good. All right, let's look ahead to the game. Fulham. Right boys so 26th of May 2018 the first time the club has played at Wembley since 1975 40,000 Fulham fans packed into a white wall and promotion was gained against Aston Villa as Tom Kearney became the first Fulham player to score in a Wembley final. Talk me through your experience including the days leading up to the final and then the day itself. How'd you spend it Danny?
2: Wow I was a nervous wreck. Um, Mixture of all emotions, I suppose. And and I think that's the contrast between this time and last time is this time has no emotion whatsoever for me. Uh, last time was just full of every emotion you can think of. Um, I don't think it helped that in a, in a typical season, the, the playoff final was a two-week break from the second leg of the playoffs. Uh, so it was a long time to wait for it. But what a day, you know, just... It, 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 you know what? It didn't even matter about the Premier League then. It was, it was all about Fulham fans getting that experience of playing at Wembley. And you know, my, my, um, all four of my children were there. Uh, my boys, it was their first game. I mean, you know, my granddad um, sadly passed away a few years ago. He never got to see Fulham uh, um, win at Wembley. He was there in '75, but just. Just, just typical, isn't it? He he spent his whole life supporting Fulham, never got to see it happen. And my my boys, it was their first game. So, but you know, I know he would have been tough for him. And and it, I think that that story is something that most Fulham fans can relate to because we're that kind of club. It's the kind of club that has been passed down through generations. And it's it was a day that I think every football fan deserves. You know, every proper football fan deserves. And for some of the the stuff Fulham have been through. Through the decades you know it, it was just it was just our day and it it was a day that um those older fans that are, have seen some right crap over the years you know that I'm so glad they got to see it, but you know yeah it it was just what what can you say it, it was just it was perfect
0: it was it was a perfect day, and you know the the build up to that was was just was, was brilliant as well i I remember putting a scarf on the dashboard of my car and driving to work with it just you know for, on full display i thought I'm, I'm just gonna really go for this and every time i was kind of you know i put any music on it would be a Fulham playlist just really kind of building up to to the day and the actual day itself to be honest obviously was was amazing but um i was meeting up with a lot of my friends and nobody wanted to have a drink that day everybody wanted to soak up the atmosphere and it was a five o'clock kickoff, and I got on the train at eleven, and just thought, right, I'm I'm treating this like a party, and I did. And uh, I had a couple of beers on the train, and then I remember having a couple of beers um, on my own in Paddington Station in in the pub. Um, I think it's the Beer House at Paddington Station, and then I headed over to Wembley um, and met up with my friends. There was a um, a little cordoned off area uh, for for Fulham fans there. Um, and the atmosphere in there was great as well. And Villa fans were walking past, singing their songs, and we were sh- we were shouting back at them as well. And yeah, the game the game itself, obviously, you know, after you've had six or seven hours uh, on on the drink, on the piss, it it flew by for me. And um, as J-Mac did the other night with his with his margaritas that his wife made him for the semi final, I didn't really feel nervous at all during the game. And when the final whistle went, there were there were floods of tears and all sorts of emotions and it was just su- such an amazing day and it's it's such a shame that we can't be there this time but we'll be there in spirit and obviously we'll all be watching on TV. Will, what about you mate? You're uh, you're a little bit younger than us both so how did you spend it?
1: Yeah, so um wasn't drinking at that point but no, it, it was great. Um, I remember like Dan said the two weeks leading up to it, it was just you know checking every day, checking B Sport, checking Sky, what, what were they saying about the game? And everything like that, and it was a great build-up. And when the day came, I was just you know excited the whole day. Um, we got there, I had great seats. It was fairly near the front of the pitch, kind of at a bit of an angle. But yeah, no, it was it was really good. Um, I think for me, one of the fav- one of my favourite parts was after the game, uh, walking to the station. Villa fans kind of walking in the opposite direction. Obviously, they look as annoyed as they could be, and we were you know, really really happy. And just walking in the opposite direction to them was probably one of the, one of the best parts of that day because we knew that we did one over them and especially the pressure they put on at the end. The fact that we still got that win uh, and it was close just made it even better, I think.
0: Lovely stuff. Yeah, I, I remember after the game as well, actually, got on the tube having queued up down uh, down Wembley Way for a bit and Simon Morgan was on the same tube as us and um nobody else recognized him but my mate and I we just strayed over and mobbed him got a photo and um as soon as we did it, everybody else realized who it was and everybody else went up to him as well and he got off at the next stop so full of legend simon morgan um this time's going to be very different though will where are you spending at this time What's, what are your plans
1: so i'm i'm at home uh, but got some friends coming over and we go watch it hopefully Hopefully, with a win, we're going to have something to eat before the match as well. Um, I think, obviously, it's definitely not ideal, would rather be at the stadium, but it's going to be as good as it can be, really, with with everything that's happening. And it would just make it so much better if we can get the win, of course.
0: Yeah, definitely. Are you amazed Fulham fans as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's two of my friends coming over, their brothers and then their dad, who's friends with my dad. So it's going Brilliant. to be good. And we've all supported Fulham for the last few years. You know, gone. we go to the home games together, been to a few away games together. So I think the fact that we're watching the playoff final together is is kind of the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. What about you, Danny? Where are you watching it? Yeah, most likely at home, I would
2: imagine, with, with the wife. I mean, one thing that I've noticed over... Um, uh, it's particularly in, in in the last two games in the playoffs, how much the wife got into it. Um, normally, well, she, she she does like for them, you know, but she's got no reason to to be into it like we are. But watching the two legs of the Cardiff game, she was more of a nervous wreck than me, screaming when that Cabano free kick went in. She went absolutely mental. I couldn't believe it. I was trying to calm her down. <laughs> It's only time. I was I was the Neil Harris. Don't over celebrate it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
2: No, so yeah, Love no. It. I mean, you know, my my two my two oldest uh, uh, my daughters. Then they're, they're not that into football. So I'm I'm trying to push it more on on my boys. And and Jack is now five, and he's really into it. So gonna let him stay up and and watch it. He's he's really excited. So. Yeah, I mean, but that's football for me. Is you know, other than um, you know, seeing you guys um, now and again, you know, for me, football's always been a family experience. So, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy watching it with them, and you know, hopefully, we're all smiling at the end of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Same for me as well, mate. My, um, I'm a Fulham supporter because both my parents are Fulham supporters, so I'm gonna go round to my mum's to watch it, and um, fingers crossed, we'll. Uh, We'll get the result at the end of it. Um, It's it's nerve-wracking, isn't it? These days building up to the game are just just the worst. and I I can't wait for it to be over. I can't wait for the game, but the game's going to be horrible to watch. Um, I I can't wait for it to be over, and hopefully we'll be celebrating at the end. Um, It's a huge West London derby, though, taking place in North London. All season, it's almost been written in the stars that the season would end in this way. I know Baldo didn't want to play Brentford, but surely this is the best way to go up, isn't it? If it comes off, will beating Brentford at Wembley—you've got—you've got—you—it's what sports all about. You've you've got to play this game and see how it goes.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the fact that we've lost to them twice this season, which I don't want to bring up, but I mean it happened, so you can't not really. But the fact that we lost them twice this season, it would just be even more of a smash and grab than it would have been otherwise. And I just think that they're quite confident the media have been kind of, oh yeah, Brentford, it would be great if they go up, they've got a new new stadium. I think it would be good, you know, they've got a great stadium. But the fact that they're playing us, I mean, if we can just get that, that result, and I think it's going to be close, I'm sure we'll talk about that later on, but I think it would just be even better if we can just get that little goal against Brentford that could push us up against them and that would definitely shut them and the media up, that's for sure.
0: And for you, Danny, Fulham versus Brentford in the playoff final, it's got to be the best way to go up ever, hasn't it?
2: Why? Well, I mean, it's it's such a horrible proposition at the moment because we don't know what the outcome's going to be. Obviously, from our point of view, I mean, the way it's... The, the timing of it will never, ever be uh, repaired or replaced. Uh, no matter how many times we beat each other in the future, the fact that... It's come down to they've waved goodbye to Griffin Park. They, you know, they've got the fairy tale. Have never been in the Premier League before. Going to their new grand, brand new era. Brentford are here. You know, Brentford have made it, and then we just piss all over their, you know, their parade. It, it's just it's set up perfectly for us, but at the same time, in their heads, they must think it's it's written in the stars for them. What I would say is that football doesn't often. Uh, work that way, you know. There's, there's very rarely a fairy tale story, you know. Look at the Europa League final. I, I was convinced it was meant to be for us, and no one told Diego Forlan that, you know. So hopefully nobody's told Alexander Mitrovic because I think on the day we've got a lot of experience, and I've seen a different side to Scott Parker that I, I didn't notice uh, a few months ago. I used to think he, he didn't show much passion. Uh, and and that he didn't the team didn't really have that much of an oomph uh, about them but what we've seen in, in the contrast of reactions to the final whistles um the other day um uh, Brentford were obviously very very emotional I think their manager is often uh the type to react uh, rather than keep his keep a cool head and Scott Parker is the opposite you know the players seem Seem very focused but in a more professional way. You know, it's um we've we've had our fairy tale and and I'm so glad that we got to experience it the way we did. I in a way I kind of feel a little bit sorry for Brentford because the timing of this is so unfortunate for you know, every club's got proper fans. And for those proper fans, you know, this is such a, a shit way to, to to have your fairy tale. So Hopefully they don't get to have it. Hopefully we um, we uh, go up instead, and and I do fancy us. I think if we we play the way we can do, I just there's just something professional about us. We're just going to get the job done. I
0: think. Don't mind me bringing up, mate, but you haven't been Scott Parker's biggest fan this season. Has he has he won you over?
2: No, yeah, well, I haven't been a, a fan of him. You know that for the whole season, really. I, I find that the football has got better. Um will will remember uh Sheffield Wednesday away um when they equalised in injury time and that was a very painful performance. It was it was just sideways and back for 90 minutes. I don't know how we, we ended up scoring a goal. It, but we it was Mawson and Ream then, and it seemed like they, they got more touches of the ball than anybody. Uh it was very painful to watch. Mm. Even now, I, I don't think we get the best out of our attacking players but you can't as as the season's progressed you you hear them stats you know that whenever we score first we've never lost under Scott Parker and all right it might not be the style of football that just to my liking but at the end of the day we all want Fulham to be successful and you can't argue with that stat that stat is astonishing that we never lose if we score first so and and you know the what just the the body language of the players, the way Onoma celebrated and they all jumped on him, the way they huddled after the, the second leg, you know, when they, they, you know, people think they didn't play very well. But for me, I was impressed with how they fought until the very end. You know, there was, in, in years gone by, they would have crumbled to that kind of bullying from Cardiff. And there just seems a togetherness. And if they the players want Parkard, then, you know, I, I, I think you've got to give him a chance. You know, we, at the end of the day, maybe an experienced manager would have got us promoted automatically. But at the end of the day, it, he took us to within the last game, a whisker, you know, of of, of automatics. And, and now he's taking us to a whisker in the playoffs. So, you know, first first year in charge, what, what more can you ask for realistically? You know, it's, I, I think I've just accepted that he's done a better job than maybe I
0: gave him credit for absolutely fair enough and football is a game of fine margins and as you say we, we were very close to promotion as were Brentford and you know they've um, they, they've had a, an amazing season as well and you know but it's, it's both of us ended up on on equal points at the end of the season so either of us could have nipped it from from West Brom on the last day had had West Brom not got a point so um before we carry on, I caught up with a Brentford fan earlier on today, Jimmy Cairns, one of J-Max's mates. So let's go to that chat now to get a view from behind enemy lines. Fulham. Well, Jimmy, it's been a few months since we last spoke as we caught up before the game that never was in the end back in March was eventually played as soon as the season was restarted and didn't end at all well for Fulham as you guys continued your incredible unbeaten run at Craven Cottage, which stretches back 30 years to 1990, which is just ridiculous. Um, On the day, I thought the teams were pretty evenly matched, actually, um, and the two late goals flattered the results somewhat. You must have been delighted, though.
3: Well, first off, I never realised we had that good a record at Craven Cottage. But for that actual game itself, um, I wasn't even sure it was going to happen. Yeah, 2-0 result. I would have been happy with the draw for the most part of the game. I really thought you guys played well and um, it was evenly matched. I think your biggest problem was taking off Reeds. I really felt it was such a big difference in the pace of play when he came off. But any kind of win, especially against Fulham, is a good win for us. Two late goals um, probably deflated you guys quite a lot. And it opened us up towards uh, quite a good run for the rest of the season. So absolutely no complaints of the results felt it was a bit unfair on you at some points but um as we both know that's the way football is nowadays really the problem with Fulham
0: is that we always start seasons quite slowly and that was like the start of a season again wasn't it it was after a three-month break and we just didn't really get going that game although we did have some good chances uh Mitrovic had a couple of headers and, and on another day we could have we could have scored a couple of goals and I, I thought the game was petering out into into a nil nil, but unfortunately, you guys scored a late goal, and then I, I guess our heads dropped, and you nicked another one as well. And yeah, disappointing start to the restart for us, but you guys, of course, it was the first match of a seven match winning run after after the restart. You came so close to pinching automatic promotion from West Brom, went out being lost at Huddersfield on that Friday night, and your destiny was placed into your own hands. There, you lost at Stoke, and then lost to Barnsley on the last day of the season. And Fulham and Brentford ended up level on points with 81, two points behind West Brom in the end. Do you worry about nerves when your fate is in your own hands?
3: Yeah, absolutely. As a Brentford fan, we're so used to this um, situation happening, but it never stops hurting when it does. I can't really speak for the players because obviously we can, we have no chance of knowing how they're feeling. It's a really young squad. I think our average age is 24 years old. And I'm sure pressure did come to get to them. The problem was Stoke played a game that we are just unable to play against. High midfield, crowding out, high pressing. We just couldn't do it. Um, The Barnsley game, as upsetting as it was, they really went for it and they looked like they wanted it. And I can't begrudge them the result for that. I suppose at the end of the day, runs only last so long and it was bound to stop eventually. It's just... Really unfortunate that we were in such a good position at the time. It just goes to show with the smaller clubs you can 't take them for granted. Because you have no idea what they 're going to pull out, and even Stoke, who really had nothing to play for, they really put an effort in and completely nullified us and The big worry for me was that other teams would have watched those games and worked out how to play against us and I thought Swansea started doing that in the first leg of the semi final but um, we managed to put it back in the second leg. So it was all OK in the end. But it does bring questions about how Wembley's going to go for us. Obviously, it's the biggest venue around, and it's against our big rivals, and it's for £170 profit to go to the final. I hope the boys are up for it, though. I'd like to think um, they've talked to each other, done well in training, and be ready for this game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure both teams will be ready for it. And you're, you're actually favourites for this game with with the bookies. And I think in the media as well, a lot of people would like to see uh, Brentford do it. I, I feel a lot of that is probably to do with, uh, you know, a, a small club that's not been in the Premier League before and a new stadium. And a lot of supporters from, um, from the Premier League will be thinking that's an opportunity for a new ground to tick off as well, seeing as it is a brand new ground.
3: It's the underdog story. Um, Everybody loves an underdog and we, for the first time, really have come into that position where we're the team that everybody's um, vying for. A quick look at our history in the playoffs doesn't make pretty reading and might make people think twice. But to be honest, coming from the lower divisions where we spent the vast majority of our lives into being into a position where we are known and people do admire us and want us to do well, at the end of the day regardless of what happens we need to be proud of what we've actually achieved there's a lot more than what people would have expected of us especially at the beginning of the season that it comes down to that thing where you're just on the cusp of greatness and you just really hope you get that final result you need. I
0: was saying to some of the lads yesterday actually that hey if if you weren't playing against us then I'd probably be rooting for you to go up for exactly the same reasons that, that I've just said but Obviously, yeah, the fact that you're playing against us completely takes that out of the equation and we all want to win. Since the restart, who have been your most important players, would you say? Who's in form that we should be worried about?
3: Based on the performance against Swansea, you've really got to be watching Ollie Watkins. Obviously, as you know, he came one behind Mitrovic in the golden boot, so it shows that he can be deadly in front of goal. But if he plays with the same kind of passion and commitment that he did against Swansea, it's not just his... Goal scoring, that's going to be a problem. He was getting in front of defenders. He was dropping back. He covered every inch of the pitch and just really gave it his all. Another player that I would say you might want to be worried of is Christian Norgard. He's one of those really understated players. Defensive midfielder really bridges the gap between defence and midfield, sprays the ball well and always puts in a shift. He kind of, I suppose your equivalent would be um, Reed. Um, Just got that kind of real workmanship momentum and can really change the game and start the ball from defence into attack uh, with a quick little flick and a kick. So definitely those two, I'd say, would be danger men for us.
0: One thing that that has really stood out since the restart is Thomas Frank making use of the drinks break to whip out a whiteboard and give some kind of tactical masterclass or something. We prefer to go for the old classic of passing a note on a piece of paper around to each other late in the game like naughty school children. What do you make of it?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe the um, fight back against that. I'd thought if anything people would sort of make comments about it being really old school to have the whiteboard with the little magnetic circles um, I'd, I'd, I don't personally see the problem it's a manager standing there and he's talking to his players of course he's going to be talking about tactics regardless of whether it's just verbal or he brings out um, a visual prompt I don't see what the issue was with it and I think it kind of sums up who he is and what he does as a manager he's always thinking of the tactics and he wants to pass on his ideas and all this to the players so yeah. you must love him you, you must, know, must love, love him is. as well Oh god, yeah, how can you not love that haircut? Um <laughs> He's about twenty five years too late with that haircut. Yeah, you think so, wouldn't you? But he seems to be timeless. He's got that haircut, he can pull off a V neck jumper. Like, what the hell was not like and he and it turns like he gets some fights with opponent's players, so you know yeah, that's right. he can't, yeah, he, you can't not love him. He got
0: a yellow card for
3: that the other day, didn't he? Bizarre. He did, yeah, but you know, all for the players and yeah, no, he's got a very charming personality. Um he doesn't often get rattled, but after the first ones the game, John pointed out that he seemed a bit salty in the post-match interview, but it worked. So he's, yeah. what he's done for the team, he's taken over from Dean Smith, who kind of laid the foundation, had a couple of bad results at the beginning and fans were calling for his head as football fans are want to do, yeah. and he's turned it around and now we can't imagine our lives without him. So yeah. there's nothing but respect. Fair play. Well, where are you going to be watching the game on
0: Tuesday?
3: Um, I was tempted to go to the Wembley Box Park because, as I pointed out to you earlier in the week, Brentford seemed to have acquired their own personal part of the venue to watch the game. But actually, I'm just going to stick at home with my family, keep a close family affair. I've got work the next morning, and if we do lose, then it's a long, depressing journey back from Wembley, which I cannot be bothered to take.
0: Yeah, I'm doing exactly the same thing. I'll be at my mum's, so. How much of a difference do you think it's going to make playing in an empty stadium for a game of this magnitude? Do you think it'll have an impact on the
3: players? I'd hope not so much in the fact that they've already been playing quite a few games without fans, so they've had the chance to get used to it. But I think in general it is a sad state of affairs that fans can't go to see this, because you can't twist any other way. This is a humongous game for both players, and as a West London derby, it's kind of beautiful to think that this is what it's come to. Atmosphere-wise, I don't know. Do Wembley play the um, the automated noises or do they go silent? I haven't seen any games at Wembley. I
0: think they do, yeah. I watched the cup final yesterday and I okay. think
3: they did. Well, it gives kind of something for the players to respond to, but I'm hoping for both sets of teams, really, um, it's just all sort of heads down and concentrate the game at hand, regardless of whether they fans or not. But I do agree. It's a real pity. There there can't be fans and people can't attend the stadium to watch this one, and they uh, have to resort to TV.
0: It is a real pity. It's a game. Not only is it the playoff final, but it's Fulham and Brentford, and you, there should be fans there for that. And and with it being Fulham and Brentford playing each other, it's it's. It's such a mouth-watering fixture and it's excruciating to think about losing because there's so much more at stake than the money and the place in the Premier League because whatever happens in this game will be remembered forever by both sets of supporters and it's got to be a pass to eternal bragging rights, isn't it?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, big time, big time. I think it was written in the stars. People were talking about the idea of Brentford and Fulham meeting in the final since the restart, I think, really. It's all come down to this. I know we've got such a strong rivalry between us. I'm kind of happy that it's a bit more friendly than we probably both have a QPR, but QPR of no consequence to any of us, so whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is for the eternal bragging rights. You kind of see it always happening. You've been down the bottom. We've been down the bottom. You've obviously had your times in the Premier League, so if you could let us have a go, that'd be great. Um <laughs> That's, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. what,
0: what, whatever happens in the future, you know, when Fulham and Brentford face each other in the future and, and somebody wins, then whoever wins this game will always say, yeah, but we beat you at Wembley. And that would always trump everything, which is which is just why it's such a massive game on Tuesday.
3: Well, this is the thing. I've had so many Fulham fans sort of say, us playing against you is our cup final. And I find it kind of ironic that it now literally is the cup final. It and whoever takes it. And, yeah, believe me, if we win, I'm going to make John's life a misery for a few months. <laughs> As you should. Well, yeah, he sets himself up for it quite a lot. Love you, John.
0: <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Well, let's come on to a score prediction then. How do you how do you see the game going?
3: I see it, I can kind of see it being cagey for the first 20 or so minutes, kind of feel-out thing. And obviously the pitch size, especially for Brentford, so we're not used probably to playing on such a big pitch. So we're trying to get a feel of how we're going to play. I'm calling 2-1 to us with a goal late on, probably around the 70-80 minute mark and then squeaky bum, like everybody back last 10 minutes where you're going to pummel us. But I think we can do it. I think we can do it. All right, mate. Well, obviously, I hope
0: you're completely wrong, but we'll see what happens on Tuesday. Afterwards, we'll look back and think, that was brilliant. Whoever won will think that's brilliant. But these these few days leading up to it, it's just like, it takes over your life a little bit, doesn't it?
3: That oh, was terrific. But it's what we live for. This is what happens when we support our teams. And yeah, can't wait for Tuesday. Indeed.
0: Well, thanks ever so much, mate. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Uh, good luck on Tuesday. Obviously, I hope you lose. Um, but I'm sure we'll chat throughout the game anyway.
3: Mate, it's been very good having me on. Thank you so much. Look forward to Tuesday. We're going to stick here, but um, no hard (laughs) feelings. Cheers,
0: mate. I'll catch you later. Fulham. All right, so as per usual, Stato has prepared some stats for us. Will, you're going to run us through the first bit.
1: Yeah, so looking at Brentford key players, obviously their front three have been absolutely amazing this season, which is something that probably scares me the most. Watkins on twenty-six goals, Benrahama on seventeen and Bremo on sixteen. Um so they Emberma and Benrahama like to cut in, so there's going to be a lot of work for the fullbacks. But then also they can cross it in because we know Watkins recently, Sky have been talking about him being the most complete striker, which obviously does annoy me a bit, but ten with his right foot, seven with his left foot, eight with his head, shows that he is a pretty complete striker. Um and that he can you know, dribble it in, um, score like a tap-in that comes into the box or score a header that comes into, a bo- into the box. And moving on from the forwards, you've got Pontus Janssen, who obviously joined from Leeds and has captained them. So he's played 36 times this season, 1.2 interceptions per game, 0.8 fouls for a game. And if Mitrovic does play, that's going to be kind of the one of the main battles, him versus Janssen. And his partnership with Pinnock, who I was actually quite impressed with over the two semi semi-finals for Brentford um has been you know a great partnership and one of the reasons for their strong form uh, The last player is Macondes, who has three goals and seven assists, which is good considering he's a sub um in my opinion, he's kind of a bit of bit like R. Kamara again I've watched him um and he's he's been a great sub. I th- I think that if he does come on, he could do some serious damage and he's more of an attacking midfielder that Brentford can play if they want to kind of put us under a bit more pressure if they're struggling to do that.
0: Good stuff. All right. Thanks, mate. Danny, what you got for us? Yeah, so I'll go with um,
2: a few of the season stats for for both teams and how, how it's likely to pan out on the day. So... I suppose it comes as no surprise to you, given Brentford's superior goal difference, that on average, they've scored more goals and conceded less. Um, This is a really scary stat. Um, And and I think it epitomizes how important the first goal is. They've only gone on, uh, so Brentford have conceded the first 20 times this season. They've only gone on to equalize on seven occasions. Right, 10 of their 14 losses have been 1-0. And if they do score first, they've only lost once. We know, in comparison, if we score first, we never lose. So, something's got to give there. And I think, well, it doesn't have to give. Whoever scores first, basically, has got a massive advantage, given the history of the two clubs this season. Their front three uh, that everyone keeps on banging about, uh, banging on about Watkins, Benrahma, and, and Buemo, Uh Sixty-four percent of Brentford's goals have come from those three. So, I think it is fair to say, stop them three, you you pretty much nullify their their attack. You know, I, I don't think they get many goals from midfield or or from their defense. But I mean, up until recently, I think, I think it's fair to say, if you stop Mitrovic, we don't score many. So, um, It's going to be key which defence gets the better of which attack uh, on the day. Um, Oh, yeah. we will finish off with with this little stat. 39% of Brentford's goals have come in the final third of games. So, that's from the 60th minute, roughly, onwards. Um, Fulham have conceded 35% of their goals in this period. Um, Brentford have only conceded three goals in the last 15 minutes of a game all season. So I think that sort of sums up the the game at the beginning of the the restart when it was pretty much even uh until Harrison Reid went off and then they they nicked it with two goals in the last couple of minutes so they're clearly a very fit team that end the game strongly so it's going to it's going to be key I think to get that early lead and then hold on to it
0: Stats can be misleading though, because you you think back to the last game they conceded a goal in must have been in the last third of that game um, against Swansea because Swansea got one back, and then the Barnsley game as well. Barnsley got a late winner at, at Griffin Park as well on the last day of the the regular season. So, really, stats don't really mean that much, but they're quite good to look at anyway when you when you're trying to analyse um and look ahead to a game so anything could happen on tuesday but we'll have to wait and see and talking of stats as well let's let's look at how brentford have fared in the playoffs previously they've only ever won four playoff games ever in open play Uh, their last game was against swansea last week uh, which they did win um they won 2-1 back in 2002 in the league one playoffs against stoke city Um, and They won both legs of their playoff semi-final against Bristol City in 1997 in League One. They've got a torrid record in the playoffs. Um, They won a semi-final in League One in 2013, um, but they've never won a playoff final despite appearing in five since 1990. Uh, No one will need reminding of our record against Brentford, though. It's not the best. We haven't defeated Brentford in our last five meetings We've had three defeats and two draws, so we're very much due. Uh, we're very much due a win. Our last win came in November 2016, which was a 2-0 win at Griffin Park with goals from Kearney and Shawnee Aluko. Um, Tom Kearney, Stephanie Hansen, Kevin McDonald, Bettinelli, Adoy, and Ream are the only players that are still around from that win. Scott Parker was also a substitute that day. The Brentford team, though, has completely changed since then and not a single player. Is still with the club since since that win. Our longest streak of not beating Brentford was seven games, and that was between September 1986 and January 1989. Basically, what I'm taking from this is we're going to win on Tuesday. Don't know about you lot, but yeah. that's what the stats tell me. That's what the stats tell me. So, who what, who am I to challenge the stats? Right.
2: I mean to be to be fair though. I mean going. Back to uh, the way the the semi-finals uh, played out. Cardiff could have easily scored first in in the first leg. That incredible tackle by Hector, and they did look very lively for the first ten minutes. They obviously scored very very early in the first half of the second leg, and they scored very early uh, at the beginning of the, of the second half. So we, we it's important we are switched on from the start. Yeah, you know, we, we don't seem to start games well. We seem to always have a better second half. Uh, and well, apart from the second leg. Uh, but in general, we we play better in the second half. So it's important we start well and we're concentrating from the off because um, we don't want to give a, them any early chances.
0: This is just a one-off game though, isn't it? You know, you, well, everything, it is, but... form, everything goes out the window. Form, stats, everything else goes out the window. This is just a... A one-off game, end of the season, winner takes all situation. Yeah, but,
2: but and and it kind of puts into perspective that all those stats we just read out mean nothing because you said their record in the in the playoffs is shocking. So was ours until we won at Wembley. So you know we'd never we'd never won a playoff game going into that campaign. Uh, so and and we ended up winning it. So you know anything can happen on the day. I, I'm not trying I to.
0: I agree. Yeah, I you just don't know agree. what's
2: going to happen. I, I think this is probably the tightest playoff game in years. Uh, and there's normally a favourite. Um, and I felt going into the Villa game that there was daylight between the two teams. Uh, I did f- really fancy us. This time, I, it, it's two contrasting styles. I don't really care about the goal difference. At, at the end of the day, it means nothing now. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a few stats for you here on, on playoff the playoff final in general. Um, of the last 16 uh, championship playoff games, both teams have only scored in four of the last 16. Nine of the last 16 championship playoff finals have been 1-0. So, you know, for me, that that says it all. It doesn't matter that their goal's galore and, and that they, they've they beaten team 7-0 and 6-0 this season. Um, we are quite suited to winning 1-0 and great the results are, and, and I think it will be a case of fair, hopefully the um, the emotion gets to them, because it does seem to be that fans, owner, um, players, manager alike, they're very emotional about this, uh, and we're the complete opposite. We're just like, well, yeah, we've been there, got the T-shirt, we just just going to do the job. And, I mean, it's funny, we've turned yeah, into the Alhamdulillah.
0: This game's different, though. This game's different. You can say we aren't emotional about it, but I don't want to lose this game more than I want to win and be promoted. Well, it's, think, more important, it's more important to me to not lose to Brentford at Wembley than it is to get promoted.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the fear. I, I'm not scared about playing Brentford. I'm scared about losing to them. And, you know, that that's the problem. I think the way it's all unfolded uh, is... The timing of it—it's just unless we was to meet in like an FA Cup final, you know, obviously we've never, neither of us have won a major trophy, and you broke the other one's hearts in that way. I don't think this will ever be—you know—you could ever get revenge on this. Um, this is even if because because I think the one that doesn't go up is likely to go up next year, and the one that goes up doesn't have enough time to prepare and is likely to go down. So we could. Be, we uh, you know, swap in divisions next season anyway. But for me, that won't be the last laugh because the one that wins at Wembley, won at Wembley, you know? It's, exactly, exactly. It's just one of them games. We just can't lose.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. All right, mate, well, let's let's move on. Will, I'm going to come to you now. What do you think the team will be at Wembley? And who do you think our key players are? Does Mitrovic start?
1: Uh, if he's fit, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think him versus Janssen will be interesting, but there's no way Bobby Reed is going to get the better of Janssen. Surely that that's, that can't work. So I think if Mitrovic doesn't play, um, the focus is kind of going to be who's playing on the wings. Again, is Cabano fit? Um, is Kamara going to start? Because for me, if Cabano's fit, we play knockout. If Cabano's not fit, then we play maybe Kamara and knockout. But I think for me, one off Cabano. And Kamara have to start because those two are sort of similar players, whereas Knockart and Cav for me are a bit similar. So it all depends on who's fit. Um, for me, obviously, Harrison Reid, he has to play. Uh, and to be honest, I think Kearney, um, th- this might sound a bit controversial because, especially the last few games, uh, I've been slating him saying, you know, he's too slow, he's passed his time. But last game against Cardiff, obviously we lost, but he slowed down the play. When we needed him to, otherwise he did stay a bit out of it, which I think is the best thing for him to do. When he gets involved in the play and we're moving quickly, he slows it down. But when it needs to be slowed down, slowed down, he can do that, and that's something that I think probably Harrison Reed and Harry Otter, let's say, and, and Onuma kind of lack a bit because they just want to get the ball forward. So when Kenny, when we're winning. And we need someone to slow down the play. Kearney is crucial. So, for me, it's got to be Harrison Reed and Kearney who should start alongside Onoma in the midfield. Um, Defence-wise, I think, keep it the same as last game. Keep Christie. Because um, Adoy, although obviously there's an argument, Adoy or Christie, I think Christie does have pace over him and... I think he's going to be better against Ben Rahama than doy would be. But again, I can see why people would say doy to start. So I guess that's just personal preference.
0: OK, mate. And for you, Danny, would you keep Kearney in the side for this game?
2: Well, I've, I'm trying to think, um, regardless of form, I can't remember the last time a team went into a final and dropped their captain. It's just, I just don't think it's the right thing to do. I, I think it would send the wrong message. Uh, to both teams um, and for me you know last time we played at Wembley he was the best player on the pitch um, dictated the game scored the winning goal and he doesn't do it often but I thought he gave a, a, a proper captain's performance um, the other night against Cardiff and and saw us through um what what really worries me is that when we were holding on and, and Cardiff were, were putting us under pressure they weren't creating loads of chances but the the pressure was relentless because we didn't have an outlet other than Kamara on the wing. Bobby Reid tries his best, but he's neither got the the strength or the, the the sort of presence of a Mitrovic. Someone to hold the ball up, you know, maybe force the defender into pushing him over, win a free kick, get us up the pitch. Uh the ball just kept coming straight back at us. And for me, if if Mitrovic isn't fit, uh I think we're forced into playing Kamara through the middle for that reason. If we opt to play Bobby Reid through the middle from the start, then all I can think of is Kamara's on the bench and we're hoping to keep it nil-nil for as long as possible and then let him come on when they're tired. Uh, because I just don't see Bobby Reid ever scoring a goal. Yeah, I mean, he probably will you know, come up with a winner now, I've said that. But yeah, I, I just... I won't be that optimistic if Bobby Reid's playing. I think we need Mitrovic and hopefully they've rested him you know, for this game and he's fit. If it's Cabano and Mitrovic are fit and they play, I think we're the favourites. If they don't and we're resorting to a front three of Bobby Reid and, I don't know, God knows who, Cavalero, then I don't think we are. So, yeah, Mitrovic for me is always going to be the key component for us. Uh, I think he's the the most likely to score our winning
0: goal. Well, I've said to you guys all week uh, that if we turn up, if our best players turn up and perform, then we win this match. And I, I still maintain that regardless of whether Mitrovic and Cabano play or not, I still think that the replacements are good enough. And and if we turn up and we play our best game, then then we're promoted and, and that's it. Um Will, who are Brentford's key players? Who are you worried about, if anybody?
1: So for me, someone that I actually didn't talk about earlier in the stats uh, was Jensen. So he provided the assist for one of Watkins's what one of Watkins' goals against Swansea, and it was just it was a great pass. For me, he reminds me of Tom Kenny when he was in his prime, just probably a bit more defensive than him. Um, He wins the ball back well, he's quick on his feet, he passes it quickly. So I think he's going to be one of the key in midfield. And if we can kind of, if Harrison Reid can hold him down, I think we we could be okay, but um, he's just great. He's a great passer, great tackle. He's kind of an all-round midfielder. And obviously, I think the front three worry me. And Mbwemo scored last time for Brentford when we were away um to them and he was he was really good but I think Watkins and Ben Rahama do worry me more than him. I just think I think for Brentford they have a whole team like a togetherness and I don't think it's one particular player. I think it's we have to watch out for the whole team. Like the team effort. Um, if we can just keep them down player by player we'll be all right. But if we're just stopping one and leaving the others free, it's not going to work.
2: See, for me, the, the midfield battle is is key because uh, I think both teams like to keep the ball. Wembley's a very big pitch. And if you can stop the service through to their front three, then they'll get frustrated. I think they'll get nervous. Um, and they'll get tired because ultimately, if they haven't got the ball, they're chasing it. Uh, so which whichever midfield trio dictates the tempo of the game, Will I think that will be probably be the difference between which team wins or not? Uh, and I think our midfield's better, so I do agree with what uh, Matt said. If if our players turn up on the day, I just yeah, I I think we will win. But yeah, it's it's just it's such a one-off game. You just I I, I don't want to be overconfident and I don't want to be pessimistic. But yeah, it's just. I just want to close my eyes and wake up, you know, just before kick off, and and with my fingers crossed and just just hope, hope they turn
0: up. What's your score prediction, mate? Who's going to be a Fulham hero this time? I'm not, I'm not
2: predicting because uh, I'm not, I'm not overly superstitious person, but I'm not, I, I just can't. If if this had been against Villa, I would have given you a playoff prediction, but. I'm just not tempting nothing you know It's, it's like, like we said earlier it's just it's that one game arguably one of the biggest games in our history for me that I going into praying we don't lose so yes I just I don't know I don't I don't, I don't know what the is going to be and I don't want to say
0: Alright mate what about you Will Are you going to stick your neck out?
1: Yeah probably It's the wrong idea but yeah I'm going to I'm going to say a 1-0 to Fulham. Like Danny said earlier, um, a lot of the playoffs games recently have been 1-0 wins or really, really close results. And um, again, we we do win kind of really close 1-0 games. Um, so I think it's going to be 1-0 to us on the day. I think it's going to be close. I think they're going to have a lot of chances. Hopefully Rodak is on the form of his life and we can just edge that one goal. Probably Cabana or Mitrovic is what I'd like to see.
0: Lovely stuff. Well, I think it's going to go to the death and I feel like we might win on penalties. Could be an excruciating evening if it goes like that. I'd rather be 4-0 up at half-time, don't get me wrong, but that's just my feeling.
2: You two have actually made me feel worse about it now. It's going to feel like two weeks until kick-off. Yeah, I know. One thinks it's going to go to the death and potentially penalties. The other one thinks Brentford are going to have loads of chances and Rodak's going to have to be mad at a match. I mean, oh. Brentford, Brentford, went out.
0: Brentford will have chances. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Yeah, I, d- I just don't
2: want to think about it. I just oh.
0: Right, last question then. Who's going to be a Fulham hero? Last time it was Tom Kearney. This time, who's it going to be, Will?
2: I think
1: Mitrovic. If he's fit, he can play his game and I think he'll score the goal. Let's hope so.
0: Lovely stuff. And what about you, Danny? I know you don't want to give a score prediction, but come on, who's, who's going to step up and be a Fulham hero this time?
2: Well, I think we've seen in, in, in recent games Josh Anemar and Cabano, Cyrus Christie's popped up with with a goal, Harry Arter. It's been players that you probably don't expect. So I think Mitrovic is probably a bit of a bit obvious. Um it is probably most likely to be him, but I think he's probably written in the stars for Kamara to come off the bench and <laughs> score a winner after everything that's happened. Uh, you know, between him and the club, um you know it's been a bit up and down, yeah, I just think it's I think it's made for him to come on and and score a winner.
0: I feel like his head would explode if he scored a winner in the playoff final.
2: Can you imagine if we get a penalty?
0: oh god can yeah, don't don't even go there, don't even go there. He can take a decent penalty though he's proof he can take a decent penalty, just that one against haddersfield last season
2: was not a decent penalty. Uh, well, to be fair to him, he'd, he'd definitely be one of the five. If it was to go all the way to penalties, you would imagine he's probably going to be a sub and come on. Well, if if he is a sub, he's definitely going to come on by the time it goes to penalties.
0: Yeah.
2: He will be one of the five. Mm. If you're being realistic, yeah, definitely. he's yeah. going to be one of the five penalty takers. So, yeah, hopefully he's on his, on his game. And, and to be fair to him, there's not many people I would pick ahead of him to take a penalty if it went, if it went to that. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I, I, I fancy him to be the hero if, if it's going to be our day. I
0: love, it. I love it. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks lads, for joining me. And thanks to Brentford fan, Jimmy Cairns, also for, for his time earlier in the show. As always, thanks to everyone at home for listening too. If things go as we hope they do this week, then you'll hear from us later in the week. It's a virtual white wall that's back in the lads at Wembley this time as we can't be there, but we're still all in this together. Come on, you whites. Fulham